Good morning. Welcome to Desert Hills Baptist Church in our 845 service. We have some exciting things going on today. Uh, several people are going to be baptized here at the beginning of the next service, and we're excited for them and their profession of faith. We understand a physical baptism could never take away our sins. We understand physical baptism is a way of testifying that an inward decision has already occurred, and we're excited for these people to take that step of faith and obedience in believers' baptism. Uh, but we also have some other um, great news that we're excited about. Uh, last week, we had our membership class, and I think we had 20-some different people uh, that were in the class or the membership uh, opportunity there. And we have 20-some uh, of them uh, identifying with our church this morning. They have a testimony of faith. They've been baptized after they've been saved, and they want to partner with us as we seek to reach this area with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to call your names this morning. If you can just wave your hand and let us know where you are. Mark and Jill McBride, they're right over here. Uh, Derek and Allison Cook, I thought I saw them here earlier. Derek and Allison Cook. Uh, Candace uh, Best and Steve Garner. Um, here, Steve Garner, Candace Best, and Paul and Carol O'Dane. Let's all welcome them this morning. Yeah. Hearty welcome to Desert Hills Baptist Church. Thank you. We're so excited to have you and excited to be able to partner together to reach this area with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We continue in our series this morning, God Can Lead Us to Financial Health. We'll find ourselves in Matthew chapter 6 this morning, verse 19. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. This will be the last message in this series. And next week, we're going to talk about the subject of reconstructing the faith. There's a popular uh, um, kind of uh, idea going on right now in Christianity as far as you'll hear um, big-name musicians or even some uh, Christian pastors and so on, and they've come away from the faith because they have deconstructed from the faith. And we're going to address the issue because it's a bigger problem than what you think. And there are several reasons why it is happening. In fact, we put out some questionnaires to people who have deconstructed from their faith and people that we know, people that have had maybe some bad experiences, have gone through suffering, have seen some inconsistencies in Christianity, and as a result of that and other things, they have deconstructed from the faith. And we'll kind of share some of this information with you to help you undergird your faith. Uh, the Bible says we are to contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. I don't think we need to be mean. I don't think we need to be nasty. I think people have sincere questions and we need to entertain questions and let people ask questions. But at the end of the day, we need to know what we believe and why we believe it. And not only that, I believe we need to experience God for ourselves. Now, it would be hard if you were a first-generation Israelite coming out of Egypt uh, to say and deny the parting of the Red Sea, to deny manna uh, coming up from the ground and quails and water from a rock. It would, be, uh, it would be almost impossible to deny the Jordan River heaping up and allowing the people to cross. Now, uh, there are things that we may not have experienced things like that, but if you've been a Christian for any length of time and have sought God in prayer and really tried to experience God, you understand that there is a God, and He is real, and He does make Himself known today. But there are a lot of people who, for them, Christianity is what somebody else has told them. They've never had experienced God. Faith is not experiential. 
it's here. And so we want to help you with your faith over the next couple of weeks, starting next week. Matthew chapter 6. Now, we have discussed the importance of budgeting and planning, the importance of saving, reducing expenses, and preparing for the future. And today, we're going to discuss investing. Now, in our text here in verse 21, in reference to investing, Jesus says, for where your treasure is, where your investment is, there will your heart Now, let me ask you this morning a reflective question. What do you treasure? What do you treasure? What really means something to you? Is it a house? Is it a car? Is it a boat? Is it a gun collection? Is it a set of golf clubs? Is it art and coins and gold that you have purchased to stay out of the recession? Is it a savings retirement program, insurance policies, annuities, real estate, commodities? Is your treasure and 500 shares of Cisco or Microsoft? Now, some people may own these things without necessarily those things being their treasure. What do you treasure? Where is your investment? John Wesley, the famous preacher from yesteryear, said, I value all things only by the price they shall gain in eternity. David Livingston, the famous missionary and explorer, said, I place no value on anything that I possess except in relation to the kingdom of heaven. You've never read the biography of David Livingston. It's a very interesting biography. I read it and just kind of cried because here was a man that at the end of his life, he would go to African villages and they'd want to hear him preach. And the only way he had the physical ability to do so was they would tie him to a tree because he couldn't stand up by himself. And he'd preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. He didn't just say those things. He meant those things. These men saw God's kingdom in everything they did. They lived as they did, not because they didn't treasure things, but they treasured and invested in the right things. Now, A.W. Tozer proposes four questions concerning our investment or our treasure. What do we value most? What would we most hate to lose? What do our thoughts turn to most frequently? And what gives us the greatest pleasure? Whatever that is, that is your treasure. That is where your investment is. Now, if anything in this world is everything to you, that is your earthly treasure. So what do we treasure? What do we value? Where is our investment? Now, As we look at the text this morning, I want you to notice a caution from Jesus. A caution from Jesus. Notice the text. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. Now, Jesus isn't prohibiting saving and planning for the future, but he's prohibiting selfish accumulation of things or goods. Now, notice the Bible doesn't say lay not up for yourselves money upon earth. 
Now, money is a wonderful tool. We understand that. Money's a wonderful tool, but it's a terrible master. Now, we can use money to buy things, to care for our family. We can use money to show care for others. We can use money to advance the kingdom of God and the work of God. In fact, Proverbs uh, says this. We talked about it last week. There is treasure to be desired and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man spendeth it up. If you spend everything you have, you are not being wise. The Bible says there's oil and treasure to be desired in the house of the wise. First uh, Timothy chapter 5 says, if any provideth not for his own, especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. In other words, Paul writing to Timothy wants him to convey to the, the people he's ministering to and to us today, listen, it's your responsibility to care for your family, to care for your home, to care for your needs, to care for their needs. It's your responsibility. Paul writes to Timothy later in 1 Timothy chapter 6, and he says, Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Even if God's given you a great job, even if you make a lot of money, even if you have great wealth, you're not to trust in those things. You're to continue to trust in God who gives us things to enjoy. And then it says that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to, be ready to distribute, willing to communicate, be generous, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. Paul is speaking about two things to Timothy under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Lay up for the future as an eternity. And secondly, lay up to care for yourself and your family. Now, years ago, I read a couple of books that helped me as a young, young believer, as a young man, about handling money and investing. In fact, one was called Mastering Your Money, written in 1986. I read it in 1990, 1991, by a guy by the name of Ron Blue. And I started investing. I started paying myself every week so I could save. And I discovered the miracle of compound interest. You put $1,000 away, and it gets 10% interest over a year. Uh, at the end of that one year, you don't only have $1,000, you have $1,100. You put another $1,000 in, and you get the idea. Then at the end of that two years, that interest has compounded. At the end of 50 years, it's compounded even more. In fact, here's uh, what somebody put out as a, a little interest scale. If you invested $20 or excuse me, $200 a month saved, when you're 25 years of age, at the end of that, uh, uh, at 65 years of age, you have over, I can't read, it's about $550,000 saved. Think about that, $200 a month starting at age 25. If you put $200 a month starting at age 35, when you're 65, you have about $250,000 saved. That's the miracle of compound interest. If you put $200 away starting at age 45 to 65 over that 20-year span, you have over $100,000. Now, that's the miracle of compound interest. Now, you put more money away, there's more money that's compounded. And so my recommendation to every one of you that are young, put away now. Pay yourself now. 
You'll be happy when you're my age, when you're 10 years older than my age, when you're 20 years older than my age, that you paid yourself first after you paid the Lord, after you invest in the work of God. Now, there's an old primary Chinese proverb that says this, the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. The second best time is today. Did you get that? Now, compound interest, start, it, start as soon as you can, set it, and then forget it. Again, the Bible says, there's treasure to be desired in oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man spendeth it up. Now, I am not the creme de la creme on understanding these things. Some of you are financial planners. Some of you have read all kinds of books about financial planning and have done really well for yourselves. I, I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to be the corner on the truth there, but start somewhere. Go see a financial planner. Go see a financial advisor. Uh, we, uh, early on in our marriage, we saw a lady. She was a retired judge. She worked for Merrill Lynch. She helped me so much uh, in our early married life, understanding the opportunity to save, understanding the opportunity to invest, understanding uh, how I could diversify a portfolio and all those things. And, and you should get information like that. Again, there's treasure to be desired and oil in the house of the wise, but a foolish man spendeth it up. It's not wrong to save or plan to care for yourself and your family in the future, but as we come back to our text, notice the words of Jesus again. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break through and steal. Now, Jesus in our text is speaking of people who get their entire satisfaction from things that belong to this world only. Again, this world only. He warns us against focusing our ambitions, our interests, our hopes on the things of this life, and that's why he says, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth. We see another caution this morning. Money is only of temporary value unless it's spent with a view towards heavenly treasure. We are to lay up the right treasures. Now, Jesus warns us against storing up treasures on earth, not because wealth will be lost. Wealth will definitely be lost. Did you get that? Wealth will definitely be lost. Now, either it leaves us while we live, or it leaves us when we die. Did you get that? Either it leaves us when we live, or it leaves us when we die. Ecclesiastes says it this way, as he came forth of his mother's womb, naked shall he return to go as he came and shall take nothing of his labor, which he carried away in his hand. Psalm 46 says, be thou not afraid when one is made rich, when the glory of his household is increased, for when he dieth, he carrieth nothing away. His glory shall not descend after him we cannot take it with us. I'm going to say it. It's going to be cringeworthy to all of us. You've never seen a U-Haul behind a hearse. Amen. <laughs> We've all heard that one before. In 1922, Howard Carter discovered King Tutankhamun's tomb. When I was a young boy, the Smithsonian in Washington, D.C. had... Tutankhamun's sarcophagus and his treasures. It was an amazing thing to go to the Smithsonian when that was on display. 
In his death, Tutankhamun surrounded himself with millions of dollars worth of his treasure. He thought that his treasure would be with him in the afterlife. But the fact of the matter was he was wrong. Those treasures today visit museum after museum after museum for everybody to see. We can't take it with us. R. Kent Hughes tells the story of Ms. Bertha Adams, who was 71 years old when she died alone in West Palm Beach, Florida on Easter Sunday, 1976. The coroner's report read, cause of death, malnutrition. After wasting away to 50 pounds, she could no longer stay alive. When the state authorities made their preliminary investigation of her home, they found a veritable pig pen the biggest mess you could ever imagine. One seasoned inspector declared he had never seen a dwelling in such greater disarray. Bertha had begged for food at neighbors' doors and had gotten what clothes she could from the local Salvation Army. From all appearances, she was a penniless recluse, a pitiful and forgotten widow. But that was not the case. Amid the jumble of her filthy, disheveled belongings were found two keys to safe deposit boxes at two local banks. The discovery was unbelievable. The first box contained over 700 AT&T stock certificates, plus hundreds of other valuable notes and bonds and solid financial securities, not to mention cash amounting to $200,000. The second box had no certificates, just cash, $600,000 in cash to be exact. Now, Bertha Alla Adams was a millionaire and then some, yet she died of starvation. Her case is even more tragic because she probably had no knowledge of God in spiritual things. Her life is an extreme parable of the lethal dangers of materialism, which promises so much but can't give us what we need most. Our consumer society is constantly telling us that life at its best consists of having more and more possessions and pleasures in this life. And Jesus cautions us to not lay up treasures on this earth. Don't allow your focus to be on this world. And then he says, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt where thieves break through and steal. Now, we understand moths destroy fabric, rust destroys precious metals, and thieves can almost steal anything. Now, the point Jesus is making is that everything people most value is only of temporary value. We need not lay hold on things that in this world. We need to have everything that we own in this world held with open hands understanding that while we have them now, they will not endure. Clothes will be eaten or deteriorate away, whether by moths or time. The, the, the word rust has the idea of organisms that eat metal or grain. It is all eaten away. And we've all experienced, probably if, if not at some time now or in the past, we've experienced, we'll experience this in the future, we've all had the experience of being stolen from. Now, I, I've been stolen from more times than I can count, and it always feels violating. It's like, why? I work so hard for that, 
And why would you think you could just break my window and get into my car and steal my briefcase and my computer? I remember my wife and I here in Goodyear, we were enjoying a meal at Manuel's. It's a, a restaurant there off of McDowell between Litchfield and Dysart. And we were enjoying a good evening. We came out after our, our trace enchiladas and her probably a taco and tostada combo. And we were going to the car and I looked like something was wrong in my car. So I went to the passenger side and it looked like the window was open. And I thought to myself, I didn't open the window. And upon further observance, I found out the window had been broken. And as I looked around in the car, I had a little black briefcase about this wide, probably about this high, with my computer and some other documents in it. And it was held up against the seat. And really, in order to see it, you would have had to take a flashlight to look in the car. And then once you saw it in the car, then you would have had to break the window and steal it. But it would have been really hard to see just by anybody walking by. And, and when that all happened and I realized what was taken, I didn't say, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. <laughs> I was looking around looking for somebody. What would you have done, Pastor? I'd have got my briefcase back. It's, it's very troublesome to have something stolen from me, but the fact of the matter is it's going to be stolen from us in death. Hold very loosely the things of this world because someday it'll all be gone. And then we see another caution this morning. Christ's position on wealth is not that it should be rejected, but that it should be pursued. Notice it says, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, where thieves do not break through and steal. Again, Christ's position on wealth is not that it should be rejected, but that, that it should be pursued, and the pursuit should be for the right purpose, laying up treasures in heaven that cannot be touched by moths and rust and thieves. And then one last caution this morning, by using our money and possessions to invest in eternity, we assure ourselves of eternal rewards. Notice what it says. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, where thieves do not break through and steal. Now, the whole concept that Jesus is dealing with is investing in something that will bring a return, something that will bring a return in eternity. Now, if we allow our satisfaction to be in things that pertain to this world, moths and rust and thieves will destroy and consume them. But if we invest in things that bring dividends in eternity, the implication is that we'll get to enjoy them in eternity. So let me ask you a question this morning. What are we laying up for eternity? How have we prepared ourselves for our ultimate departure of this world? As we've advertised the seminar after the 1030 service, I mentioned a family in our church that still had children at home, 
And both the husband and their wife uh, in the late, they were late 50s, died of COVID just a little over a year ago. And when that all went down, there was no trust or designees or will or anything to kind of divvy up the things that they had or even direct anybody on what should happen with the children or the things or anything. And as far as I know, that stuff is still up in the air now a year and a half later. Now, how are we preparing ourselves for an inevitable end? How are we investing in the future? Do we understand that when we leave this life, we can't take the things that we own with us? The largest transfer of wealth will happen in the next 10 to 15 years. $3 trillion will pass as the baby boomers die off and leave their inheritances to their family, to organizations, and to even churches. Have we thought about how we can invest in eternity? Secondly, we see not only a caution, we see a command. Jesus says, lay out for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. Jesus tells us to lay up. The phrase lay up means to gather, to store, to save, to preserve. Jesus is telling his followers to gather things that will meet us in heaven. The Lord Jesus is not looking for aesthetics or hermits. He is looking for eternity-wise investors. Now, I want to encourage you to seek good advice, to invest, to prepare your family for an uncertain future here on earth. The Bible clearly tells us to do that, but it's also very clear to tell us that, hey, listen, we are also to prepare for eternity. Now, we look at this life and think of this life, and all we know is this life. But think of our life as this. Our life, the totality of it is in this coin in reference to eternity. We're born, we take our first steps, we start to, to uh, go to school, we go to kindergarten, we go to uh, middle school, we go to high school, we go to college, we get married, we have children, we have grandchildren. 70, 80, 90 years, here is our life. In eternity, what we are preparing for in this life is like this room. This room could represent eternity, but most of the time our focus is on this. We're not focused on the hereafter. We're focused on this right here, this life, the 70, the 80, the 90 years, and we're not, we're not even thinking of what is in store for us in eternity. So when Jesus tells us to lay up, he's wanting to encourage us to lay up the right things, not just here, but here. Secondly, Jesus tells us to do what's best for us. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, where thieves do not break through and steal. Unlike the investments we make on earth for this world, the investments we make into things that the effect, the eternity of others cannot be lost. And Jesus is telling us to do what is best for us. Thirdly, our investment in things that last is not only for God's glory, for the good of others, it's also for our good. Notice the language, lay up for yourselves. For yourselves. 
for yourselves treasures in heaven. Now, if we follow Jesus' investment plan by laying up treasure in heaven, we understand he's not talking about investing in Apple or Microsoft or APS or Sunrun or any earthly investment. Those investments will not pay dividends in heaven necessarily. But what he is talking about, he is speaking about the work of God. He's speaking about affecting the spiritual welfare of people. These investments bring glory to God. They help others, and they ultimately benefit us. Now, Paul's speaking of this matter to the Corinthians who made a commitment to help the struggling saints at Jerusalem but did not follow through in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, uses the example of the generosity and investment of the Macedonians, the churches at Philippi and the churches at Thessalonica, to inspire the Corinthians to follow through and invest treasures in heaven, to keep the work of reaching others going to the struggling saints there at Jerusalem. And here's what he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. He says, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that they responded in grace, they gave in grace, they were generous in grace. It says they were in great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty, they abounded unto the riches of their liberality. In other words, they were going through trials, they were very poor, but in spite of that, they continued to be generous. And then it says in verse 3, it says, For to their power I bear record, yea, beyond their power they were willing of themselves. Beyond anything anybody could ever imagine, they said, you know what, we got to be a part of this. We need to be a part of this partnership. The, the church of Jerusalem was the first church that sprang up, that Jesus started himself, and they're reaching people there. We need to be a part of that. We need to invest. And then it goes on to say, Paul explaining what happened, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. In other words, they begged Paul to be a part. They said, we, we want to be a part of this. I understand. You understand where we're at. I understand. You understand we're going through trials. I understand. You understand we're poor. I understand. You understand all those things, but we got to invest. They were in a place where in spite of all of their difficulty and struggle, they begged Paul for an opportunity to help. They wanted to partner in helping the work of God uh, continue, the work of reaching people continue, and they got to this place by making a decision to give themselves first. They said, okay, God, not only is what I do with my money in your control, but what I do with my life, what I do with my time, it's all yours, God. I want you to have premacy in all of those things. How do I know that? Because this is what it says in verse 5. And this they did, not as we hope, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. They gave themselves. And then they gave what they had. Now, Paul wanted to make a point later that the more we invest, the greater part we have in what God is doing. And this is what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, But this I sow, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he that soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. 
In other words, you sow a little, you reap a little. You sow a great deal, you reap a great deal. Now, that's not the point why we invest. That's not the point why we're generous. That's not why we should do it. But it was true in the Macedonians. They did it, and God continued to take care of them. And then it goes on to say this. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. In other words, we need to have the right heart about it. We don't uh, uh, think of an offering box or uh, uh, giving online as if like we're holding on to it, holding on to it, holding on to it. Okay. Or I give this, but I only grudgingly give this. The Bible says God loveth the cheerful giver. The word there is, is the Greek word hilarion, which means somebody that's joyous about the opportunity to partner And as we are generous, God promises to continue to care for us, even while it seems like we have less. We shovel out, God shovels in. We shovel out, God shovels in. And it just so happens that God has a bigger shovel, because here's what it says. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you. In other words, God is able to take care of you, that ye always having sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. In other words, every time we give to the Lord through his church, we are taking advantage of an opportunity to lay up treasures in heaven. Let me ask this this morning, and I'm not trying to guilt people or anything like that. Again, if you can't give to the Lord's work and do it happily, keep your money. How many pastors have you ever heard that? Say that. If you can't give to the Lord's work and do it happily, keep your money. Keep it. But let me ask this, if you've been helped by the ministry of this church, through the preaching ministry, through the teaching ministry, through being prayed for, prayed with, groups, someone reaching out to you, if that's you this morning, and I I kind of gingerly ask this, raise your hand. Okay, hands all over the room. Let me ask you this morning, if you've been saved through the ministry of this church, raise your hand. Hands around the room this morning. Oh, I'm looking at Mario in the back. Can't miss him. Mario played uh, uh, college football at Florida at uh, A&M. Fam? Florida, what's it called? Florida what? Florida Atlantic? Florida A&M. Something, something? Yeah, okay, fam. He played football there. It's hard to miss him. But Mario, I remember when he came to church here, he had been going to church in California and and he had some questions, and we sat down together, and we talked about his questions, and there was some things he needed to work through in order to understand that God wanted to save him. And once he worked through those, Mario came to the knowledge of the truth and got saved. <laughs> Do you know what the angels say about that, Mario? The angels in heaven, or the Bible says of angels concerning that, the Bible says the angels in heaven rejoice when one sinner cometh to repentance. So everyone that has given beforehand and everyone that has given afterwards is a part of that soul coming to Jesus Christ. And every other soul that's been saved here, every one of us gets to have a part in angels cheering on.
because someone has given in the past all the hands of people that have raised their hand, and even some who are yet to come, we've all had a part in that. We have an opportunity to invest by giving our tithes and offerings to the Lord through His church on a regular basis. The more faithful we are, the more ministry that can be accomplished. The more faithful we are, the more impact we can have. If you've never invested by giving, start for the next month and discover how God can take care of you in spite of you releasing a tenth or a 5% or whatever you decide to do. Let the Lord prove your faith, test your faith, and see how he can trusted, he can be trusted, and you can be a steward. Here's what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 6. It says, no man can serve two masters, for either he'll hate the one and love the other, or else he'll hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You can't serve God and stuff. And then there's a choice. Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What we do with our possessions is a sure indicator of where our hearts are. Show me your checkbook, show me your credit card statements, show me your receipts, and I'll show you where your heart is. What we do with our money doesn't lie. Secondly, what we do with our possessions determines where our heart ultimately goes. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. If you want your heart to be in one particular place over another, if I want my heart to be in one particular place over another, then I need to put my investment in that place and not another. If I put my investment into my family, my heart, if I put my treasure into my job, my heart will be in my job. If I put my treasure into missions, my heart will be for foreign missions. If I put my treasure into the Lord's church, my heart will be with the, what the Lord is doing through his church. So I ask you, where is your heart? A number of years ago, there was a geologist by the name of Dr. Williamson who was doing some, some work, geological work, in the country of Tanzania. One day, he found himself driving in a deserted area, slipping and sliding along a rain-soaked road, and suddenly his four-wheel drive vehicle sank up to its ankles in the mud and got stuck. Not a great thing to happen in Tanzania where there's all kinds of animals around in the bush and in the jungle that want to eat you. Pulling out his shovel, Dr. Williamson began the unpleasant task of digging out of the mud. Uh, he, he, he had been at it a while when, when his shovel uncovered something strange. It was a pink-like stone of some sort. Being a geologist and naturally curious about rock formations, he picked it up and wiped all the mud away. The more mud he removed, the more excited he became, and he could hardly believe what he eventually saw. When the stone was finally cleaned, Dr. Williamson was beside himself with joy. He had found a diamond. Now, any diamond at all would be a surprise in that situation, but Dr. Williamson found what became known as the famous pink diamond of Tanzania. That stone today sits in the royal scepter of Great Britain, and Dr. Williamson is famous around the world for his find, as accidental as it might have been. Now, every soul that needs Jesus may appear like a rock covered with mud. Worthless, time-consuming to wipe the mud away, dirty, but when Jesus wipes the mud away, we get to see how precious the value of that soul is.
a diamond in the rough. So what will we choose to invest in? Will we simply be consumed with the things that only last in this world, or will we lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust cannot corrupt, where thieves cannot break through and steal?